And welcome to another edition of Fire in the Mountains, our second show. Ricky Wittenberg along with the Hot Pocket, Andy Waddell, and the Keyboard Warrior, Justin Edgel. And tonight we will discuss episodes three and four of Smoky Mountain Wrestling TV. And Justin, how are you doing this week? Doing well. Looking forward to uh, reviewing episode three and four. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of fodder once again. As always. Looking forward to it, yep. Andy Waddell, how's it going this week? Oh, it's going to be a good week. we got a great show coming toward you, and hope no, hopefully nobody loses their clothes. We can only hope that that is the case. <laughs> the last week, I, I may have made a, 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 a clerical error in my sayings, and Andy Waddell caught me on that. But uh, Justin missed it last week, so Andy caught it, and uh, he will probably not let me live that down for the next little while. At least. So, episode three and four this week, we are going to discuss. Uh, they were taped November the 27th, 1991. They aired uh, in February of 1992. So, they're basically taped nearly one month after the first tapings. The first tapings in Greenville, South Carolina, these tapings take place from Morristown East High School in Morristown, Tennessee, right up the road from uh, Andy and myself. Go Hurricanes. Go Hurricanes. First match right out of the gate, uh, we have Pat Rose against, uh, talking about ripping clothes off, here it is, Hollywood Bob Holly. So Bob Holly, they start out the match. They Bob Holly gives the old heel handshake, and then, then he even gives him a high five, the double high five. Pat Rose feels pretty good about himself, turns around, and Holly with the classic heel move just, just attacks him right out of the gate. And uh, it was pretty much a one-way match. Pat Rose got a little bit of offense in, but mostly Bob Holly working uh, working the whole match. Uh, most people, uh, Pat Rose pretty much played a jobber in this match, but he, he had some success in the early 80s. He's actually the cousin of Randy Rose, who is one half of the uh, – one, one version of the Midnight Express when they came back into w, NWA in the late 80s and – it was Randy Rose and um, Dennis Condry with Polly dangerously against the other the other Midnight Express that was Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton at the time. So Pat Rose, cousin of Randy Rose, and also one of the original uh, a member of the Heavenly Bodies with Tom Pritchard in the early '80s. I didn't know that. wasn't aware that he was a Heavenly Body with Tom Pritchard. Wasn't quite a heavenly body in 1991 uh, for sure. Is that brother loves uh, brother? Uh, yes, Tom Pritchard is brother That's loves what I brother. Thought. Bruce Pritchard played brother love in the WWF. Tom Pritchard, Doctor Tom Pritchard, is his brother, and you will be seeing him uh, down the road here in Smoky Mountain, actually pretty soon. So I don't know which episode he actually shows up on, but you will be seeing a lot. Of Dr. Tom Pritchard, Justin. I was wishing it was Brother Love, but oh well. Now, Tom Pritchard's a really good wrestler. You'll you'll enjoy Tom Pritchard. He, he to me, he plays like a Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper uh, kind of character in a way. He kind of has some of his mannerisms, but he's got his own deal. But really like Tom Pritchard. But anyway, this match, Randy Rose, Hollywood Bob Holly. Uh, just another showcase match for Bob Holly. I did notice at the end of this match, Rand, the Rose bends down, looks like 
it should have been the original setup to the end. And Bob Holly was supposed to give him like a swinging neck, a reverse neck breaker. And he flips over him like he's going to be sunset flipped. And then you can always tell in a match when somebody screws something up, they both kind of look at each other like, uh Oh, and they go right back to the same move, which then is the reverse neck breaker. Holly with the bombs away. One, two, three. And then Rose. Okay. I have a problem with this. They're trying to set Bob Holly up as a character. Rose is just basically jobber fodder. And he kicks out right after the three, like he was a big deal. I, I have a problem with that when it's a jobber. A jobber don't kick out. Right. And, and I just, I don't like that. Scott Hall, in one of his shoot interviews, has this analogy. And I, I think, I believe he said Larry Zabisco is the one that basically taught him this. That if you go into a match and then you're going to get pinned, stay down. You know, if you're going to go down and, and it's good enough to knock you out for a three count, then it should be enough to knock you out for 30. Don't get up. He's, it, it diminishes you and it diminishes the guy that's that's going over. So to Scott Hall's credit, I know a lot of people don't give him a lot of psychology in the wrestling business, but I think he picked that up. And, well, because of his later years, that's probably why. Well, I mean, just in his later years when he was in WCW with Nash. I just mean when he's like now. Oh, yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like, you know, the state he's in now. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yes, yes. And uh, he's tried to clean up a couple of times, I, th- I think. I hope right now he's straight. I always like Scott Hall, he, him and Nash. I know Nash is an asshole. He's always going to be an asshole, but I, it's, he's my kind of guy. Just the way they uh, both of them portray themselves, and Scott Hall, I, I, deep down, he's got a lot of problems, but hope he's worked out of him. But anyway, Scott Hall, he came up with that analogy that you know, if you're going to go down to a finisher, then don't kick out, stay down. I mean, act like you're dead. It had to kill you to keep you down, and I, I just had a problem with Rose kicking out right at the three. It's not like Bob Holly was going over Bobby Fulton, where it should have been a kick out at three so uh guys what did you any comments about this match yeah i I totally agree with you on that i mean the jobber you gotta do what you have to do you have one that's why they call him a jobber one one job and he he fucked it up i mean totally and then you know i'm it'd be one thing if it was a championship match like you like you said i mean between bobby Fulton or it was a world championship match in the main event of a pay-per-view. Fine. But, man, I mean, I don't know much about Pat Rose, obviously, but that's pretty weak for what he did. And the, I'll preface this with maybe – it's it's hard to see in hindsight. I can't remember back in 1991 if he should have been a bigger deal. I, I, to me, it looked like he was being set up as a jobber and it shouldn't have been a big back-and-forth match, so maybe they – he thought that he was a bigger deal than he was. I don't know. It just he kicked out right after the three. And it, he, it almost looked like he almost kicked kicked out before three. Almost. I mean, right. Anyway. So and they're trying to set Hollywood up as a one of their main acts. You can tell going in that Cornette was really high on Bob Holly and really trying to push him and get him him going and just having Pat Rose kick out right after the bombs away. I don't know. It just. It didn't look right on TV, even right now, looking back yeah. on it. Andy, what yeah, it was all those promos. That he was, yeah. They had all those promos of his, and eh, it comes later. But anyway, 
Yeah, they are pushing him pretty big. Right. Andy, uh, what did you think? All I can say is Rose gave me hope that I could wrestle in my current uh, physical condition, shall we say. I mean, it is a wonder we even got to see his tights as much as the belly was hanging over. But it, the <laughs> kick out of three, that, that tore me to me. I swear that... It's like, why, why, why would you even, honestly, when I first saw it, I thought they had screwed up the ending like they did the back, you know, the Somerset. Cause you know, after that, it seemed like the match just went herky jerky and then they finally ended it. But that, that was my first thought. I thought, well, they screwed up the ending that by him kicking out after the three like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was kind of a, it was definitely a clunky finish, if nothing else. So we come right out of that match. Bob Cottle with White Lightning, Tim Horner, and the Fantastics. And they're talking, this is basically just one of those plugs where they're going to be running shows in East Tennessee, the best wrestling fans in the Smoky Mountain area. And then Jackie Fulton ends it on the pedo note as he wants to hug all the pretty young ladies. Mmm, call like the pretty girls and make him go boing. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> he's he's got the great look too. He's got a bad bad mullet, and he even has a perm on the end of it. <laughs> it uh, yeah, the blonde like mullet trio. There we like go. Perfect, <laughs> right, perfect southern pedo. Right, he. Oh man, it's a. I, listen, I mean, looking back now, it's we're in 2015. There's a lot of things that have changed. Um, so I know where he was going with that. I guess it was still it was perfectly acceptable to say what he said back in 1990. But yes, if you, if you look back on it right now, that was definitely just one of the creepier moments you got uh, of this whole two shows in the first second segment. So I, I, and he's talking about all the pretty ladies. I, from what I could tell from that Morristown East high school that night, he would have been better off with the old polka dot lady from Greenville, South Carolina. I don't know. Granny was awful feisty out there. I'm just saying, you know, yeah, we'll get into green. We'll talk. (laughs) We're not, we'll talk. (laughs) We will get into granny. No, 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 not on this show. We'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about granny later. She was, she was definitely one of the highlights of the show. And uh, you'll def, if you're watching along with us, you, there is no doubt that you will run across granny throughout these next two shows because she is, She's all over that front row and playing a part, and she was having a good time, and she was giving the hills what for. That's classic Southern, I believe, and I don't even know if she did believe because she acted like she was having fun with it, but it made for a good TV, that's for sure. God bless America. So we, yeah, but by the way, nowadays, uh, with uh, Jackie's comments, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling probably have to uh, put out a public statement yeah, the, of, of apology no, after that wacko. The, he, anyway, yes, he. Um, the pedo statement, right? The all the pretty young ladies. It just in the way he looked when he said it. It it just doesn't come across. It don't translate real well in 2015. Carl Childers, mm, I like me some fried pretty young ladies. Mm, good. So we'll move on to an actual interview with Bobby Fulton. Vladimir was called back to Russia. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> Vladimir was called back to Russia on important business. I, the, so Bobby Fulton says, I, I think he was called back to the char- farm for for some chicken loving. Um, 
But anyway, apparently Vladimir is MIA, and we'll delve into that a little bit more later. Then we go right to an interview with Ivan Koloff, and he said that Vladimir was back in the Soviet Union for an extended period of time. He shows up with his new partner, Jimmy Golden. Jimmy Golden, now my God, if you want to have a wrestling promotion in the South, you have the Fullers, the Goldens, and the Armstrongs, and so far we've already now had the Armstrongs, and you threw in Jimmy Golden. Once once we get to the Mongolian Stomper, we'll we'll be we'll be set. But Jimmy Golden, I know Justin, you probably maybe are not f- familiar with Jimmy Golden, but he was a really really good Southern Hill. Um, in the 80s, and he actually, you may remember him as Bunkhouse Buck in WCW in the mid-90s. Yeah, uh, spe- uh, speaking of the whole Vlad thing, aren't they like a year or two late on the Cold War thing angle? But anyway, with Vlad going back to Russia. There's a whole there's a whole narrative we still- give about right. wrestling being a year or two behind. <laughs> the whole, the whole uh, foreign affairs stuff. The, I don't know. I'm just being an idiot. But. No, no, it, it's it's true. If you look back at the history of wrestling, they're they're always behind in their fashion. They're always behind in their storylines. Nowadays, it's not li- not quite as bad as it used to be. But I mean, even if you go back to the mid '90s when the style was a little bit different, you had all those guys wearing them damn fanny packs and Gold's Gym shirts. They look like... You guys have made sense, huh? It, they were five years... I mean, they were a good five years behind the times then. So, yeah. it's it's always wrestling for some reason. I don't know why. They've always been just a step behind the actual society. So, for them to be playing a Cold War deal... <laughs> I thought it was funny. Is it, was so complete, it, but... it makes complete sense in the wrestling context. Yeah. But anyway... Sure. Uh, Jimmy Golden, uh, I'll tell you what, he actually looks like a northern guy. He looks like a, a Yankee. I mean, at least the look he had in, in this show. You know, I, I, I've never seen him before, like you said. I No, I've never heard of him. But he looked like a normal dude that would come come up from the north and come down to southern wrestling. Yeah, until at he, least from the look that he had until at least that night. Maybe until he spoke. Well, I'll give you that. Sure. <laughs> I think you could definitely tell he was not from anywhere north of the Mason-Dixon line when he just opened his. Look. Well, just his look. That's all I was saying about right. his look. Is yeah. all those dudes had the ba- the bad blonde mullets. Most of the guys in the whole, no, you know, yeah. territory. I guess right. at least from what I see in Smoky Mountain wrestling so far. You Stan, are... Stan House Junior would be in heaven. He, he yeah, would, right. He would have fit <laughs> exactly. right in. Yeah, our NASCAR buddy Ricky Stenhouse, it would have fit right in in Smoky Mountain back in 1991, at least the early version of this year's Ricky Stenhouse. Anyway, back into the wrestling ring, and it's uh, I guess our early favorite, Rip Rogers against Joey Mags. They they work a pretty fast pace to start out. Uh, Bob, he he tells Cornette to look at the body on Mags, and Matt Cornette downplays it and says he don't want to look at it and he's not into that kind of stuff so uh, <laughs> nothing like good old-fashioned homoph- homophobia in 1990 1992 we that's still perfectly acceptable in the south so it actually kind of still is to this day in i fix parts. to say i'd say that now 
Yeah, so around here you you still you still catch a lot of the, you still catch a lot of that. But Mags, he, he goes to work on him. He chokes he chokes Rip Rogers with his robe. That I noticed throughout the match. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Rip Rogers either lost a lot of weight or he didn't have his gear with him that night. All of his correct gear because his knee pads kept slipping down to his ankles. And he kept pulling them up throughout the entire match. It was, I didn't notice. It was a little bit distracting, honestly. I don't. I don't know what happened, but he could not keep his knee pads up. Honestly, I couldn't watch the match because I kept looking. I, I I was thinking about how the times have changed. The dude in the back next to the sign had a Bowie knife on his side, and I'm sitting here. He's in the high school gymnasium. He's got a Bowie knife hit, strapped to his hip, and my my eyes kept going back to it for some reason. No, yeah, yeah, that doesn't, uh, you don't, I didn't even, I didn't even notice that, but I have to go back and look, I guess. Well, I mean, it's, I would think that that uh, little girl in the first row that had the white lightning foam finger probably also had a Bowie knife <laughs> at that probably. point. So it's, it's 1991. Things were just a little bit different down there, down here in these parts. So, but Rip Rogers with his usual heel annex, he's telling the fans to shut up. He comes off the top rope and hits a forearm on Joey Maggs from the top rope to the floor. And that got a pop out of the crowd. It's so weird now to watch some of this stuff that would not phase us in the least because now we're we're watching guys do 450 splashes through three flaming tables and 1,800 thumbtacks. But then somebody just with the simple act of coming off the top rope with the forearm to the outside got the fans on their feet because that wasn't normal back then. And watching these shows, that's one of the things that I've got to remember to relearn that things are just a little bit different back then than they were than they are now. And just to see the crowd jump up and pop for that was pretty cool. Well, another thing about Rip Rogers is when you're in a small venue like that, you need the crowd to be loud. And he done a good job, in my opinion, of getting the crowd into it. You know, even though he's the heel, he, he got them into it and screaming at him and cursing him. I think my mom even called him a son of a bitch at one point or something. I, you know, it was a good day. Oh, yeah, I don't doubt that at all. She, he, he definitely, he knew who to focus on and he focused his attention on her a little bit just to keep her riled up and it, it worked so the match ends with uh, go go ahead justin so the ma- anyway the match ends with um rogers getting buckled 10 times his head into the turnbuckle 10 times he goes down mags goes to the top rope I like this finish, honestly, because Rip Rogers stumbles backwards because he's still groggy, falls into the ropes, Mags crotches himself, then Rogers comes up and gives him a uh, superplex from the second rope, which they they call the Ripperplex, and that was a really good TV match. That's two two shows in a row Rip Rogers has definitely delivered, I think. Well, yeah. Yeah, Go ahead, Mandy. Oh, uh, yeah, and that, that goes back to what you said earlier. You know, now we see them do suplexes off the top rope every week, it seems like. You know, it's not that big a deal. But back then, everybody was like, oh, my God, he, he dropped him from 20 feet in the air. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did. And it was just not something that you saw all the time. So 
when you scale back and you take stuff away from the fans, like Bob Armstrong in the opening episode, he comes out and says, they're going to enforce the rules. We're not going to have this. We're not going to have that. You can't be thrown over the top rope, and that's a disqualification. Pile drivers are disqualification. The only reason they do that is to make it when somebody does those moves, it make it mean something. So that Jim Cornette done a really, really good job just right out of the gate in Smoky Mountain trying to establish the fact that he was going to make try to make everything mean something. You're not just doing moves to go through the motions. Make make everything you do mean something. Yeah, I was going to say about uh, this Rip Rogers, he's by far uh, – he's the best worker I've seen so far, you know. I know it's only been four episodes, but, man, he's a high flyer. He he almost remi- a little bit reminds me of the Macho Man in a way. Well, that's, uh, that's funny. I, 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 know, I, know he's, I know he's not as quite the Macho Man. I think the Macho Man's one of the best ever. But, he, you know, he, he, he flies off the top rope, like you guys said. He does high-flying moves. And it's it was, at least for, a, like, a minor, uh, you know, like a territorial wrestling uh, whatever you call it, I, he, he he was he was really good. He was the best by far that I've seen so far. Yeah, he was good. Like for the for a territor- territorial re- wrestling uh, promotion like this, that's what I meant. Promotion. Yeah, yeah, and he, he he's been the best. And the thing about him, would you said Randy Savage is really funny because I know you you don't know this is that in the seventies. Angelo Poffo, Randy Savage's dad, run, he started an outlaw territory out of Kentucky, and they ran a lot in Tennessee. And my dad went to the matches a lot because they they ran a lot in Knoxville, I guess, Johnson City. And they were oppositioned to a couple other territories, but it was ICW. And it was ran by the Poffos, and Rip Rogers was one of their main, main characters in there. And him That's and Savage hilarious. at the time – they looked quite a bit alike uh, back in back in that day, so it's pretty it's pretty funny that you said something. You tried to compare him to Savage, not having a clue. And Rogers right. came up. It is it's hilarious. Yeah. Rogers came up wrestling with ICW in the late seventies, early eighties. So we had that. He has, he has the same wrestling style, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, pretty pretty similar. Um, yeah, pretty similar. High flyer. So they come out of match two, and we go uh, straight into match three, and it is, here's the heater, the mighty Yankee against Robert Gibson. So they drag somebody out. Maybe it's Pat Rose again. I don't I, I don't think so, actually. This guy's built a little better. But they, they pull this blue mask over his face that is so tight that I'm really surprised his head didn't just pop right off his shoulders. <laughs> And he's got lightning on his tights and his mask. I, maybe it's maybe it's Tim so Horner worked. Right you know, maybe Tim Horner wa- worked um, under a mask every once in a while or something, and he borrowed Tim Horner's stuff. I don't know, but this mask definitely really doesn't fit this dude. I mean, it looks like he stretched out a a Smurf condom over his head. Is what it looks like. La 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 la. la. So it's I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to say this. 
like you guys really must hate the North because <laughs> this is like one of the worst looks I've ever ever seen in wrestling. Oh, sir, you have no idea. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to me because I don't really give a damn. But it was, well, see, Ohio and Illinois is not really you know, and even the well, right, right north of us, we All consider right. north like. You know, New York, New, Connecticut, New England, yeah, right. yeah, New England. That you know, screw them. <laughs> yeah, but still, it, it's still hilarious to me because this this is one of the worst look. Like I said, the worst looks I've ever seen. And the dude sporting about a B cup too. I ain't gonna lie. It, it uh, so I don't even know who it is. It doesn't matter. He was just he was just a jobber for Gibson. At this point, you see Robert Gibson in two singles matches, and all you can think is, for the love of God, hurry up and get Ricky Morton in Smoky Mountain. because yeah, He's really bad in singles. Robert Gibson yeah. is not a good singles wrestler. At, at well, it, make, it makes sense. See, when he's in a tag team match, he can watch both the opponents. Uh, you're not going to let the eye thing go, are you? <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> He he me I don't know who he's looking at, and I'm afraid one of these days, you know, I'm gonna be watching something. He's gonna break somebody's neck because he was looking at the ref. It, good <laughs> lord. Okay, so Gibson, the Yankee does a charge into the ropes, turnbuckle. Gibson moves out of the way. Yankee hits the hits the turnbuckle, spins around. Gibson with a running bulldog for the win. And after all these years of watching wrestling. And me considering myself a pretty knowledgeable wrestling fan, for the first time, when he hit that bulldog, I looked and I thought, well, that's just a damn reverse RKO. That's where they got that from, maybe. I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying that's where the RKO, the stunner, that kind of thing came from, but it's basically the same move, except you're coming from over the top of the guy instead of under the guy. So, and I have never put two and two together. Until Robert Gibson hits the mighty Yankee with the bulldog to sit up in my chair and say, "Hey, that's that that might be where that, that might just be where they got that idea." Uh, wow, mind blown. Dude, seriously, I mean, had you all ever thought of this? Am I the only one? Am I the real stupid one in the room? Because I never really gave it much thought that that was basically just a reverse of a bulldog yeah i just saw it actually just now and uh yeah it pretty much that's what it was i mean who knows man i i'll say this speaking of the rko that was definitely a stunner but it was like stretched out a little bit you know what i mean right anyway so we come in and we're going to the interview and this, uh, we're not going to do no show end of show spoilers, but Jim Cornette, he talks about the tag team he's got coming in. It's the sad state of affairs, and it's it's the who can you trust interview. And, man, he nailed this interview. It was awesome. And I don't know if you – I haven't discussed our end of the show awards yet, and we'll get to it at the end of the show. But Cornette knocks it out of the park here. Let me just say that. When it comes to the interview of the night, this and another one was real close, and I I was conflicted on which one should win, so I'll put it that way. I actually had 
another one. I actually had two of them real close also. So Yeah, I'll, I'll spoil it. I don't give a shit. It, it did, this was the best one of the night by far. Well, the cornet. I can't, I, can't, I can't even imagine, like, see, see, I look back to, like, you know, this is what's, like, what, 23 years ago? I can't even imagine this being on TV now. Oh, no. Because cause <laughs> no. All people, people be pissing and moaning about it. Man, it is so, it's almost fresh. Yeah. It's weird it's, to say. It's, it's weird to say that because it's 23 years ago. But it's fresh to hear somebody say the freaking truth about shit. Yeah. And he did. He spit truth. And it was hilarious. I about was in tears watching it. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So we have that. And then we um, we go into the Dutch Ar- Dutch and uh, Scott Armstrong highlights from the week before. Just uh, They were just recapping that match. Then we go to an interview with Dutch Mantel and Ron Wright. And he asked Mr. Wright to escort him to the ring against Brian Lee. To set that up for later on as the main event tonight will be Dutch and Brian Lee in this first show. Then we jump straight. Oh, go ahead, Andy. That, that interview was touching. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, a, a, a single tear rolled down my cheek. <laughs> yeah, Ron Wright definitely was over overselling the sympathy thing, but we'll get payoffs on Ron Wright down the road. It he he grows into his character in Smoky Mountain. Let me put it that way. And yeah, I, by the way, that's the total opposite of uh, what I just said about spitting the truth. And we got this guy begging for shit. Yeah, <laughs> he might as well he might as well be the uh, the new whack packer for the Howard Howard Stern show. I'll say that. Yeah. So, yeah, complete opposite from the other from Cornette's interview. Oh, I no doubt. And we go into match four of the night on this first episode: Bad Boy Barry Horowitz against Morristown's own Tim Horner. The fans fans really dig Tim Horner because, and he is from Morristown, and this is Morristown East High School, and Morristown can't really, I don't think they got much of a claim to fame. At 1991, Tim Horner was, that's about all, that's about all they had in 1991. So the fans have, some of the fans have the foam lightning bolts as souvenirs. I noticed in this match, for some reason, there's a guy opposite camera side, of the main camera sitting against the wall. He's got a white shirt and glasses. He, he keeps shaking his head. I don't know if he's laughing, if he's talking to himself or if he has some sort of a, a nervous tick, but he it was did, Michael J. Fox, sir. He, <laughs> did he go back to the future? Andy? I mean, was this Michael J was this 2015 Michael J. Fox sitting in 1991? Well, they they quit they quit trying to do the even years, you know, the eighty five, fifty five. So they decided to jump ahead seven. Okay, so we're going off the rails there. Tim Horner and Horowitz have a, I think they have a pretty good match, pretty good back and forth. I mean, Horowitz is a jobber technically in Smoky Mountain, and right now all he's doing is trying to make Horner look look good in this this match, and he does that. I like how. Horner goes for the rolling bridge at the end of the match, and when he shoots him into the ropes, and Horowitz hangs on to the ropes, and Horner flips over backwards. Horowitz does the back pat. He pats himself on the back because he's real proud. Horner jumps up, gets up, rolls him up, gets the one, two, three. Pretty innocent little TV match. I I thought it was pretty good. Maybe looking back now, Smoky Mountain maybe could have done a lot heavyweight division, 
and sure had more more of matches like this. And I honestly, down the road, I mean, I, I think they get more away from that. Maybe maybe not. I, it's been so long since I've saw Smoky Mountain. I've forgotten some things too, but. Just looking back now, I'm thinking, you know, maybe you, they should have done a light heavyweight division. It, it, but this is Tennessee wrestling. This is East Tennessee wrestling. It, 1991. That that's not exactly that wasn't in the cards for 1991 well, in East Tennessee. Well, sure. It, it, I mean, looking. Yeah, you're right. Looking back, it was probably There's, not realistic. But but it it would have been cool because I, I mean I think I think. Tim Horner, he's you know the White Lightning, Cheeseball, MF. But anyway, I you know like I like Barry Horowitz. He he was he's a pretty. I know he's a jobber in the WWF, but he's a pretty good worker. Looking back now in in this promotion, yeah, he was been pretty good. I mean, he put they put on a great match. So hell, they could they could have put up. They can find a couple more people and have a division like that. It would have been pretty cool. Yeah, and it's easy to look back now and say that, but it, oh, sure it, it is. Yeah, and absolutely. It, and there was just a a stigma around when you said light heavyweight in the early nineties. When WCW created the light heavyweight division, it's like cruiserweight or whatever. Well, they this, did. before the cruiserweights, they actually had a light heavyweight division, and okay. Brian Brian Pillman was uh, him and Jushin Liger were two of the first light heavyweight champions in Smoky, in, uh, sorry, in WCW. And there was a stigma that Brian, even though Brian Pillman could work his ass off and he was one of the best workers in the entire promotion and he was a main eventer. Natty, baby. Yeah, and he was a main eventer. I mean, he, he really, he fought Flair in a couple of main events and he had been in war games and he was a main eventer. But then when they put him in this light heavyweight division, it all of a sudden almost... It, it, it makes you a mid-carter just because you're not in the – so maybe Cornette just – he didn't even want to deal with that, and I can understand it. But looking back, I wish they'd have had the, 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 matches like this that were just good TV matches between two smaller guys. The, it's fun to watch. I'll even say this. Back in WCW in the mid-night uh, – yeah, probably mid to late 90s, the cruiserweight division, that was the best wrestling they had. In any promotion. Oh, yeah. no. Like when they had no those, those Mexican guys out there? Well, and not just the Mexican. I mean, you had Guerrero but, but, and Hootie right, Toot and Psychosis. Mainly Mexicans, you know. But you had right. yeah, and you had Dean Malenko and, and Perry Saturn. You had guys that were just it was great. Benoit. And we, we, we don't really – we can't talk about Chris Benoit because, oh, God forbid. But anyway, we, they had those guys. So Right. And they, they were the best workers in WCW at the time. So No doubt about it. We come to an interview after the match. Tim Horner basically just runs out of the ring to say he's happy to be in Morristown, Tennessee. He gets, ooh, that, ooh. He gets the cheap pop from the crowd. Oh, like Mick, Mick Foley pop. That's the Mick Foley pop. I think maybe, maybe that's where Mick Foley got it from. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably. So we go now straight to another interview and a guy coming into Smoky Mountain that, God, I'm so excited to watch because he was awesome, one of my favorite people in the world, the nature boy, Buddy Landell. He's coming to Smoky Mountain. He don't kiss anybody's can. He could be himself in Smoky Mountain. He don't do favors for nobody. He considers himself a god. Smoky Mountain's where it's at. He does this stupid impersonation of of kick like he's beaten something like after he plows somebody knocks all their teeth yes. out and the way the way they're talking and it's just 
you'd have to, you'll have to watch this interview. I, I can't do it justice, but, but <laughs> Buddy Landale, he, he definitely lets you know that he's coming in and, and he's a perfect fit for Smoky Mountain, no doubt. He, he wants to smack somebody so hard they talk like Ward Burton to give the listeners a visual of it. If you don't know who Ward Burton is, look him up too. Oh, I don't know what it was about, but it was going to be something I did not talk the same no more. Uh, yeah, it's just check out his interview. It's, it's really good. So we come to the main event now. Fifth, hey, Oh, go ahead, Justin. Uh, oh, yeah, I have, I have a little bit because this is my first – because I heard you guys talk about this guy because I know he recently passed away. And, uh, I, you know, I was ignorant, ignorant to him. I had no idea who he was, to be quite honest. That's probably my fault. But looking at, looking at that first uh, promo he did, man, he was excellent. He was a natural at it. I mean, how the hell that guy didn't make it in the big time is beyond me. He had his own. I have no. He had demons. Um, he had his own problems. I, I mean, there's. Oh, a, don't they all though? I mean, yeah. seriously, like, even like in the major promotions, they had demons. I would think not. Not like not like Buddy. We we, we could talk about Buddy. I'll I'll actually okay. point you. Okay. I'll point you to an interview that a uh, shoot a. Um, well, I could point you to a shoot interview he does, and he kind of explains some mm-hmm. of it. But at the end of the day, there, there's a in 1985, he yeah. was supposedly. Now, this is him saying it, but he he never really seemed to be a guy that made up stories. He and if if he messed up, he told you, and he said he screwed stuff up, and if he didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think he's pretty honest. And there's a story, according to him, that he was going to win the NWA world title from Ric Flair in 1985. And on the taping that it was supposed to happen, he got real messed up the night before. Black Bart tries to wake him up the next morning. He don't want to go. And he misses the taping. And basically, long story short, he gets fired for missing the taping and being undependable. And he was going to be the NWA world champion, pinning Ric Flair. So when you say yeah, he I didn't make it big, I mean, much. he really, he was right there at the edge. Uh, he he almost had it all. So, but, but Buddy Landale will be somebody very, very fun to watch throughout the Smoky Mountain run. He has That's one sad. of the... That's very sad. He has one of the best interviews, maybe top five interview, top ten interview of all time that I've ever watched on somebody connecting with fans and just connecting with his message uh, later on in Smoky Mountain. I'm not going to ruin it for Justin. It, it will happen before the end of the Smoky Mountain run when he gets a shot at Shawn Michaels' intercontinental title at a big show in Smoky Mountain. And the interview that he gives before that match, setting that match up, was it's one of the all-time interviews ever in the history of wrestling. Yeah, he he was he was like when I first saw that I was like, damn, this dude's. I mean, he's a, I guess Nashra, He it sucks to hear that he crapped it away. I'll say that that's yeah. sad. It now, really is. Now he had really he had turned his turned everything around there the, the last few and now years. Now he's dead now and fifty three. He's only like fifty three, yeah. wasn't he? And it was it wasn't anything to do with from the reports that you you read it. I thought the worst when I heard that he passed away because I think like, like an OD or something. Yeah, and it, it was nothing like that. He had had a car wreck, went to the uh. hospital, 
came back and he died in his sleep. It's some is some something to do with the car wreck that he had that uh, caused something to happen to him. But sucks. But anyway, so Buddy Landell coming in, something to look forward to there. We get to our main event. Dutch's bullwhip is actually named Shoe Baby. I'd forgot about Woo-hoo. that. I swear to God, he called it something. He he called it something else at some other point, but. Here it's Shoe Baby. The old woman is going off the rail. In, for, <laughs> he, she hates Dutch Mantel. Uh, well, see, that's the great thing about Southern grannies. They will whip your ass and then God bless you in the same sentence. Yeah. It, it was wonderful just to watch her. Oh, yeah. And Cornette with a perfect one liner out of that. He wonders if her undertaker knows that she had got up today. So Cornette is such a. That was awesome. <laughs> that, was, that was great. And the bad part, the bad part is seeing how Lee's career went. It was kind of prophetic, just a little bit. A little bit, yeah, it was a little That's bit. Fine. So they they basically just kind of pound on each other. Brian Lee gets the upper hand. He had a really good looking power slam in this match. I noted that. Uh, at then Ron Wright gives Dutch Mantel some brass knuckles. Lee wrestles him away, takes him. He pops Dutch with the brass knucks. Pins him one, two, three, but he left the knucks on his. <laughs> yeah, the cornet did. Left the knucks on his fingers. The ref catches that, and so he disqualifies Brian Lee. Ron, Ron Wright wheels his old crippled ass out of there to get out of there, and um, so that's how we end the main event with. Cornet, Cornet was all worried about him wheeling out. I hope he gets out all right. Yeah. Well, well, who the frick is going to hurt him? Uh, you would be surprised. Sir, you do not realize how serious we take our wrestling down here. And, and those old people. Come, come over the cage. Those old people. No, they, they would have whipped his ass in the wheelchair if they could have got a hold of him in time. I guarantee it. If, if that man really would have saw him. Yeah, they, they would have whipped his ass. Yeah. They the, thought it was real, huh? Well, they remember how dastardly Ron Wright was just 20 years ago. That old woman, I mean, she was, I'm sure she was ringside front row in 1968, 1969, 1970 when he was really just tearing it up. So he didn't. He was talk, actually in the ring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was him and his brother. Yeah, sure. I know, I know he was. He was. He reminded us. Right. So He's up. So shit. Not really much to make of the main event. Uh, I mean, I like Dutch Mantel a lot, but he's not a great wrestler. He's a good worker. There's a difference. He he can tell a story. He knows how to get the reaction out of the fans. But he's no not doubt gonna, about it. He he's awesome at, at that. Yeah, he he's not going to wow you with his physical prowess, but he's definitely got. He definitely has the psychology down. And he's good at that. Brian Lee is Brian Lee at this point. Still not overly impressive. Junk. Junk. I mean, just trying really hard to get over as a baby face. And um, the fans are still not all the way behind him yet, for sure. That's the thing about Brian Lee. I mean, he's he's not a good baby face whatsoever. He's terrible at it. He's like, you know, you're not ready for prime time and all that bullshit i mean it's just it, it's not believable it, mm. to me at all well they thought that was a really good probably a really good catchphrase and in, in 1991 uh-huh. well maybe that's that's true 
So Ron Wright, they have an interview after this match is over. Ron Wright, he's just happy to be in Smoky Mountain. He was the greatest wrestler in the world. He's still looking for somebody to manage. And I like how they have these uh, rapid-fire interviews back-to-back, and all the guys are kind of in and together. They'll, they'll say their piece and move out, but it's all basically shot in the same sequence, in the same scene. It ain't like they do now. So you have that, and then Bob Holly wanders in. He has a limo waiting out back. He, he's got a dinner date with Julia Roberts out in L.A., and he's got to fly out. And so Bob Holly's still trying to establish the fact that he's – The he's guy from Talladega, yeah. The big-time Hollywood star. And if we can date anything here, he's, he's our, the number one Hollywood starlet back in 1991, Julia Roberts, which they did get that right. That's, that's true. That's, that's, that is right, yeah. They got that one. Oh, yeah. Now they they didn't miss the ball miss the mark on that one. So. She still looks okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we get out of this interview with them, and then we have the interview with Brian Lee, and Justin's already said he's basically just said you're messing with prime time. He's going to put Dutch in a wheelchair. Dutch wants. He's so freaking corny. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he's just it. He he's not connecting. He's trying. He's trying really hard. I'll give them that, yeah, but it's just not working. Well, there's a problem when you when you're going to do a baby face. Most of the time, you've got to have the underdog thing going on, and when the dude is standing two feet taller than his nearest opponent, it's kind of hard to take him serious as a baby face. Yeah, because he looks like he could whip anybody's ass. That's a great. That's a great point. Good. Good point for sure. So that we've come to the end of our our first of two episodes here for Smoky Mountain Fire in the Mountains episode number two. So right now, what we're going to do is take a little quick break, and we'll be back as we go over episode number four, Fire in the Mountains, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Are you tired of your couches getting ruined? Oh, Grandpa. I made tinkles again. If you've got old people cluttering up your home, why not send them to Musty Pines? We'll help bring back dignity, and we promise it will be the best three months of their lives. They'll enjoy bingo, complaining, mumbling incoherently, skinny dipping and organ donation. And once a month, it's our famous Lucky Dip medication switching night. Musty Pines is located at a luxurious location overlooking Vice City's state-of-the-art sanitation facilities. You can still visit your old people, but now you have the comfort of knowing you don't have to. After they pass on to something better, guaranteed in three months or less, you can start enjoying their money. Finally, you can have quality family time again. Musty Pines. Now, you don't have to say goodbye. drive through service also available. My tacos, the best. I love Ortega's taco sauce. It makes my taco pop. Yeah. And we're back on Fire in the Mountains, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Episode 2. We are reviewing Episodes 3 and 4. Ricky Winberg, Andy Waddell, and Justin Edgel, and the good folks at Musty Pines and Ortega brings us back in. God bless America. That's all you can say. And I, the, I think Grandma is headed to Musty Pines not long after this show was taped. 
Because she Shoot, was, they try to come get grandma. Grandma's whipping that ass. That's all I'm saying. Grandma was feisty. She's gonna whip that ass and then knit them a sweater while they're in the hospital. That's it. She's gonna make something for them to get them get them right back on the road to recovery. She'll probably make them a casserole. Oh Lord. Mm. All right. She's probably still here somehow. No, she, uh, I'll say that. <laughs> I, she, if she is, I guarantee you she's in Musty Pines by now. Oh yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I'm sorry, Grandma, but if you 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 was seventy at least in this episode, you're that puts you at a good hundred and three. So anyway, back and we're going to straight straight into episode two, and Dutch and Bob are going to be on commentary this show once again for Morristown, Tennessee, taped November the twenty seventh, nineteen ninety one. So we go right into our first match, which is Hector Guerrero versus Tommy Angel. And Hector very much uh, basically looks like a typical 80s porn star at this point in his career. Bob messed up his name and called him Gomez, and Dutch just gives him shit for it the entire match, basically. Uh, He's got this silver kind of outfit on, was Lasertron in the mid-80s and NWA, Maybe some of that silver was left over from his from his Lasertron gimmick, uh, and his his tots are they're they're definitely out there. And uh, they, we have a sound blast in this one, Dutch Mantel saying, "Hey, Dutch Bob told him to look look at this, look at this." And Dutch said, "I saw it, Bob. I'm not Helen Keller. You can't get away with that stuff today, <laughs> even though it might be true. That would not be something that would be uttered. Wait a minute. Let me take that back." Booker T said something about Owen Hart not being able to defy gravity on a Raw a few months ago. So I just, I, I guess you can say anything if if you have enough. Um, are you freaking kidding? Are you serious about that? Dead serious. That. Oh, yeah. No, I got to yeah. go find that. He said Owen, uh, he said gravity because they was talking about Aaron Neville. He said, oh, yeah, the and, man that gravity forgot. And he, he yeah. said that gravity did not forget Owen Hart. <laughs> Holy shit! Are you? Serious? Uh, he, I'm dead serious. It was this year. It was. It was one of them where you just go. Uh, uh, even Bradshaw was over going. Uh, uh, this is a great match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Bradshaw's the dude that done the Nazi goose walk when they were in Germany on a tour, and Bradshaw was even offended. If you can offend him, you've yeah, done something. Really. You've done. You've done something. So anyway, wow, it's funny. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's it was definitely bad. Um, so we have a oh my god, yeah. Though the fans have no idea what to make of Hector Guerrero. I'm telling you, it was great to see Eddie in his early years. It, this was a wonderful man. <laughs> yeah, it's, he did. I mean, he he basically does look a lot like his brother Eddie, except uh, Hector. It is his brother. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Hector. I was going to ask that. I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah, okay. Uh, Chavo, yeah, that's what I thought it was, who it was. Chavo Sr., their other, another brother. So, But, yes, uh, Hector Guerrero. And is, he is about as skinny as any dude can be in a in a wrestling ring. I, that, that jobber from the first episode that pinned the Black Scorpion was had more – weight on him than, than poor Hector Guerrero. I, Hector Guerrero, the best analogy I can give you, if you ain't, ain't watched this episode, if you're going to watch it, 
he reminds me a whole lot of Freddie Mercury two weeks before he died. Oh, well, hell, he reminds me of Freddie Mercury two weeks after he died, as skinny as Hector Guerrero was. I'm sorry, he was he was about 140 pounds. Yeah, he did look really skinny. I mean, he looked like a you know like he did look like Eddie on AIDS. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I was trying to figure out how Eddie had gray hair already. That's that was confusing me for a minute. Yeah, he definitely favors. Uh, they definitely favor each other. So. Pretty, pretty. It was a decent match. I mean, Tommy Angel's not a. Uh, he was a household in in this area. He was he was at least a name that was familiar. Bounced around a lot of the uh, Southern Indies and had had a shot in NWA at one one time. So he was a known wrestler. They kind of worked it as basically worked it as a face versus face match. Angel played a little bit of heel, but he he worked it mostly straight. And um, at the end of the match, Hector with the jalapeno pepper roll, what Dutch called it, just the uh, the rolling pin for the win. Oh, it was a pretty good, solid opening match. Uh, the crowd. Yeah, that was one of the nominations for the one of the lines of the night. Oh yeah, with the jalapeno yeah. pepper, pepper roll. The jalapeno right. pepper roll. It was in there. Uh, Andy, what did you make of uh, this match as a match? I, I I thought it was a good opening match. Uh, and in Smoky Mountain Wrestling so far, you, you really haven't seen a lot of what Hector Guerrero brought to the match. You know, you've seen a lot of head scissor takeovers and, you know, a lot more speedy high-flying stuff. And, you know, it, it, it was a good off-balance thing to let you see what was upcoming. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought they worked the match pretty good. Um, if nothing else, Smoky Mountain, they've not had too many missteps so far in the first four episodes with matches that are just not have some level of entertainment. And that was a really good opening match, the, honestly. The, yeah, there's really is good, good hard wrestling. I mean, it's, it's normal. I mean, uh, compared to what you see today where it's like almost theatrics, I think this is like back in the day where it's old school wrestling where it kind of looks real. Well, they make it look real. They, you know what I mean? They do. And, and another thing is they give you different styles and different kinds of wrestlers and different sure. builds. Now, the, the main problem that wrestling, in my opinion, one of the main problems it has now is everybody kind of looks the same. You don't have sure. the freaks and the weirdos and the fat guys and the real skinny guys. It, Kevin Sullivan says it best. He's probably one of the greatest bookers ever. He's, dude. He said, you know, it, it, if you don't like this, the clowns, just stick around. I'll have the guy, I'll have a guy juggling. If you don't like that, I'll just stick around. We'll have the trapeze artist. If you don't like that, we'll have somebody throwing darts and or spears. If you don't like that, we're going to have the guy sticking his head in the lion's mouth. So Kevin Sullivan was of this opinion when he was a booker back in the day. He wanted to give you a little bit of everything that way, even if it's something you don't necessarily like, there's going to be something that you will like on the show to keep you interested. And Smoky mountain in these early shows is really doing a good job of giving you a little bit of diversity and kind of some of the older guard and some of the newer guard. And they was giving you some high flying and they was giving you some hard hitters and they was giving you some muscled up guys. They gave you a little bit of everything and it's a real 
Cornette had a, I mean, already you can see just four episodes in that he uh, he knows what's going on for sure. Well, what, oh, did Sullivan, what did Sullivan? What did Sullivan book? He was WCW's booker during the Monday Night era. He was the man uh, from about oh, ninety five right. through through the peak of the Monday Night Wars. He was the one. He, See, I didn't. I, th- I thought it was. Uh, no, he B- Bischoff. Boy, Russo, what? Well, Bischoff, Bischoff. Well, Bischoff made. He wasn't the booker, though. I mean, he was the guy writing the checks. But Kevin Sullivan was the booker and the one putting all that stuff together. So he's definitely just check out some of his shoot interviews, and he goes into real good detail on on many things. But Sullivan, just God, he's one of the greatest minds ever, and we'll see him on Smoky Mountain too. So. Stay tuned. No for that. shit. He oh. he shows up. Oh, I can't oh. wait. Well, another thing, I'd rather see an hour worth of quality than what we got now, which is three hours worth of crap. You know, it, it, you know, just because you can make a three-hour show doesn't mean it's better wrestling. Right. Just because you can, don't mean you should. But I mean, what are you no, going to do? Like, it's like a it's like a theater show now. I mean, it's like a production or i don't know right, honestly though what are you going to do when they write you a check and say we want three hours you, you give them three hours yeah but anyway so uh back back to the desk and we have an interview with ivan koloff and jimmy golden uh, still talking about vladimir taking care of business and in, in russia they're they're foreshadowing the fact that he's long gone right now golden hadn't seen nothing fantastic about either one of the fantastics I like Jimmy Golden straight into the point. And he's absolutely right so far. The Fantastics, um, not real impressive yet. So we go right back to the desk. We've got Bob and Dutch, and they basically show Fantastics suck. I mean, that's all I got to say. If it was Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers' version, I think it would have got over better. And I'm not exactly sure what Tommy Rogers' was doing at this time where he wasn't available or he just didn't want to do it. But if they had had that version of the Fantastics, it would have been a lot more tolerable, in my opinion. Yeah, rather than the Chip and Dale version we got now. So, Well, I'm not sure about the Jackie dude. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, and that's the one that would not be visible if if Tommy Rogers was around at this time. So we got uh, Dutch Mantell. He brings out his good friend, Mr. Carl Stiles. And and after, if I would have watched this episode before the first episode, I would have been able to tell you that the Black Scorpion is, without a doubt, Mr. Carl Stiles, which it, it is. And Carl is uh, backwoods, North Carolina, and uh, he they don't let him say much. And when he does say a few words, you know why they don't let him say much. But he's 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 real well built. He sounds like a uh, I don't know. Uh, well, just to just to alleviate any questions you might have, yes, me and Ricky both know people that are just like that, stout as a bull. But when they go to open their mouth, you're like, uh, uh, yeah, Mister. Uh, 
Yeah, there there are real people like that, and I'm not for sure that he wasn't putting on an act. I believe that might have been his real personality. I, I don't doubt it at all. Uh, he was very proud of his muscles, though. <laughs> he, all he did was <laughs> he stood there and flexed the entire time Dutch was talking. But honestly, from the few words that came out of his mouth, he needed to stick to flexing. That's that was what he was. That, that's what he was yeah. good at. I mean, and Andy's right. We know he, some guys around here like that. There's a guy that. Uh, I've known back in the day, he weighed at least 400 pounds, did not look like that he had a shred of fat besides a gut on him. His his arms look like two big trees. And he's the guy that I think I've told you all a story about this before, is a, tr- a big truck stuck in the mud back in the holler in Rogersville. And there's two guys trying to push this truck out of the mud. And he just got aggravated because they couldn't get it out. And I'll do my best impression of him that I can right now. And this is God's honest truth. All right, boys, get out the damn way. Let me show you how to do this. And he walked over there. He grabbed the ass end of that truck with one hand, one hand, picked the truck up off the ground and shoved it and said, that's how you do it, boys. And... I I knew right then that that man could break me without even giving it a thought. And you, there's, there's definitely guys around here like that. So Carl Stiles. There really is aliens in. Oh, definitely. Carl Stiles reminds me of of this guy that I'm talking about. So, except he didn't weigh 400. This Carl Stiles, definitely not a 400 pound man. Same mentality. And, And definitely looked like he could bench press a, Buick. Actually, it might have been Bigfoot. I don't know. Uh, Sasquatch, are you still on that that whole deal? You never know. Okay. With Justin, you never know where he's headed next. He's been chasing Sasquatch uh, throughout the last couple of years. About three or four years, so I haven't found him. He's out. You got to use donuts, dude. You got to use donuts. Or beer. Oh my goodness. Okay, so yeah. back um back to basically Dutch Mantel is using Carl Styles as a bodyguard and that's where that whole segment went. Then we get an interview with Brian Lee and Robert Gibson and Tim Horner. It's that Smoky Mountain coming to a town near you plug. Then we get an interview with Ron Wright, still looking for his wrestler. It's basically the same interview he's been doing. Then we get into match number two, Ricky Nelson. Not that guy. This is another Ricky Nelson against Killer Kyle. Hey, it's Justin's yeah. favorite wrestler, yes, Killer sir. Kyle. So it um, he he is he does have his eight his does have his <laughs> he does have his violin case. Apparently, we do have an eighteen inch dildo in the in the violin case. Where we also have it on good authority that he has handcuffs, anal beads, and a leather zippered mask. Well, sir, I will say that if you watch closely, he uses the handcuffs to hold the case to the top rope. That's true. Just saying. That's true. But I think in 1991, you probably couldn't have got away with it, but that would have been a hell of a gimmick (laughs) just for him to be this sex maniac that carries around all kinds of weird toys in a violin case. Yeah. Hits him upside the head with the dildo. Yes, boys. Now I'm going to pin him. One, two, three. Yes. 
That's why, and we wonder why <laughs> well, we yeah, have. That's, that's true. I mean, Killer Kyle is the corniest one from back <laughs> in the day. I guess I'll say that. But man, he cracks me up, especially that 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 shitty ass mu- music he has. Oh my god, it's terrible. I don't even know what that's. Yeah, it was like poor music. It's terrible. Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, that interview with uh, Robert Gibson. God, I wasn't sure where that was going. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, anyway. (laughs) That interview with uh, Robert, uh, yeah, Gibson. He sounds like he has emphysema already. How old was he back then? 32. He's only 32 years old. Yeah, did? I don't know. I just had to say that. He probably did. Uh, back then, everybody smoked. I mean, I'm not sure if he did or not, honestly. Probably. But most most people did smoke back then. He was only in his early 30s. so. And that's kind of just, well, that honestly is kind of he the way He looks a lot older than that. That's kind of that. just the way he sounds. He's He's... That's just kind of the way Robert Gibson's always sounded, honestly. But anyway, Ricky Nelson against Killer Kyle. It was just a jobber beatdown. Kyle slams Nelson into the violin case in the corner to get the pin. Nothing really to be said about this match. They're just trying to establish Killer Kyle as uh, one of their probably mid-card heels. I mean, we've already saw him get beat by Robert Gibson, but now they're putting him over some jobbers. So you're you're trying to... See where the pecking order's turning out here, and so Killer Kyle, uh, just ab- he's above jobber level anyway. He he is he actually is pretty a decent worker. He's just so corny as shit. That's all. Right. He's fun. He's funny to make fun of. He's an easy target. We go we go from that match to the most awkward interview angle, whatever of the <laughs> night where. The principal and then some guy over this club gives Tim Horner an award for helping juveniles. And maybe they should have given Tim Horner an award for keeping juveniles away from Jackie Fulton. That would have been a more entertaining <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but anyways, uh, they, I mean, I know what they're doing. It's in Morristown, Tennessee. They want to they wanna pump up Tim Horner. I get it. So it, it, it was That's a pretty – killer Kyle then. Oh, it's a pretty nothing angle. We go right to Bob Holly interview, and um, he wants to give people a chance to see what a real movie star looks like, for the love of God, for all that is good about him in the ring. And he was very impressive to me, looking back. That he had the look. He had a he had a good ma- he had a good style for early nineties. I mean, he was definitely not a uh, bad entrance music. Yeah, he he didn't look like a rookie though. He didn't come across as somebody that's not been wrestling a while, so he done he done a good job of that. But don't don't give him a microphone. He is not a very good interview at this he's point. He's terrible. He really is terrible. He 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 really was bad, honestly. So we go from that into the third match of the evening, which is Brad Anderson, which is uh, Gene Anderson's son, the son of Gene, which is the sh- storyline brother of Oli, which they weren't really related, but Gene Anderson, this is Gene's actual biological child, Brad, against Brian Lee. For, just watching the match, some observation I had, 
the fans are just, they're not really into Brian Lee yet. I don't know why. Uh, I, well, yeah, maybe I do. I mean, this is technically <laughs> the first, probably the first time these people have saw Brian Lee. Maybe in a while he had been a heel in Continental. I don't know how much TV carried over. It, but he was—he really wasn't a real established name. Smoky Mountain hadn't been on TV yet when this taping occurred in Morristown. So it's hard to have a hot crowd when it's the first time they're seeing a lot of these guys. Well, not only that, but if you're going to put him in there, you need to put him in there with somebody Andre's size or, you know, two or three guys at ringside to, you know, make it look like they're ganging up on him, you know. Make, make him, you know, sympathetic to the crowd, but when he steps in the ring and he's two foot taller than the dude he's fighting and, you know, he's about 50 pounds heavier and he's, you know, it just, you can't get a baby face over like that, I don't think. It's hard, and it's hard to play like a Ricky Morton role when you're coming from underneath. When Ricky Morton's five foot six and 180 pounds and Brian Lee's six foot six and 280 pounds. It, it, yeah. it is the visual that it's hard to get by. But they try to get heat on him at the end of the match. Uh, Mr. Backwoods comes down with Dutch. and after I'm going to whip his ass. Yeah, they come in and they double-team Brian Lee, and then Brian Lee gets upper hand when Styles misses a running clothesline, nails Dutch. Dutch goes flying. Lee kicks Styles out of the ring, and he goes flying. So, basically, this match between Lee and Anderson was just furthering the storyline between Dutch Mantel and Brian Lee and adding the Carl Stiles wrinkle into it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess Carl might have been the biggest guy they had on contract at the time, and they thought maybe, you know, we put him with Butch, it'll make it look better, but... even now looking back, cause a lot of this stuff, I was young and I've, I've forgotten about it and it's like, I'm watching it the first time and it just don't come across as him being a baby face or a sympathetic character when he's still bigger than the biggest dude you can find. No, absolutely. So we have that and is Justin reestablished connection or are we still out? I guess not. Hendrick got him again. We have lost Justin Angelo. Carl Stiles has come <laughs> down from the mountains of North Carolina, and he is inflicting his rage upon Justin Angel for some reason at this moment. Do we, not listen to the banjo music, Justin. You will not squeal like a pig, sir. Do not do it. But we're going to try to reestablish connection with Justin. Let's uh, try to get him back on the horn here. Yeah, now we got Justin back. Uh, just a small temporary glitch in the matrix. And Justin, we were discussing the Brad Anderson and Brian Lee match, and uh, you had some comments on that. Yeah, he looked like a Shane McMahon, big time. When when I first saw this match, I was like, "What the hell is that, Shane McMahon?" But there's no way it could have been because you know it was 1992 and. He was, you know, Vincent's son. Anyway, Brian Lee sucks. He sucks as a, as a, you know, as a baby face. They need to turn him heel, and I hopefully they do that soon. 
All right, so there we there we're into this. We come straight out of match number three, go into match number four, which is the main event this week, which is the Fantastics against Ivan Koloff and Jimmy Golden, and it kind of um, it was a fairly long match for TV, kind of a standard Southern Hill working o getting a baby face in trouble and working over Bobby Fulton to where he makes the hot tag to Jackie. Jackie comes in, cleans house. Uh, Vladimir back from Russia very quickly. He, he ended all the cold war problems that fast back from Russia, smacks Jackie over the head. Ref don't see it. Ivan gets the pin. And then we have a wild six way brawl because Tim Horner comes in because God knows he's not been on TV enough this week yet and sticks his nose into that. So we get a six-way brawl to end the show. And, um, Justin, what did you think of this, uh, this match? It, it was, it was okay, I guess. Uh, you know, like t- Tim Horner, I, I, I don't know why they're, they're trying to push that guy so much, but well, he was a part owner. He was, okay. he, he, uh, he had something to do with it. Well, well, I mean, that's why, I guess. But, you know, and, and then that the typical corny old uh, Vladimir coming back from Russia, so to speak, because he, he took care of the Cold War and all that, like you said. So it was all right, I guess. Andy, it for was a, bad for the main event. Yeah, for a TV main event, Andy, what did uh, you think? Right. It, it served its purpose. Like you say, you know, a lot of this is just building up to hopefully bigger and better things. Uh I was just excited. It's been so long since I've seen somebody get bloodied in a match that watching it then, I don't know, it it, it, it was different for me. It, you know, see somebody actually get bloodied up and they're getting hit with chair shots and they're actually on a gym floor instead of a, you know, padded walkway. It was, it was pretty cool, but, you know, I don't think it was a great match, but I think it served its purpose. Yeah, I mean, all it's trying to do right now is build angles and storylines, and wasn't a bad TV main event. Well, nothing to really stick out, but not bad. And you can tell that they're setting up a six man between the Fantastics and Horner against um, Golden and the Koloffs. So served its purpose for sure. And then the Wild Brawl to end it all. It if you if fans if you're watching, go back. Uh, Listeners, if you watch this match, Jimmy Golden, toward the very end of it, he looks like he's trying to brawl up into the aisle going back toward the dressing room because I think Jimmy Golden was just done and nobody followed him. So he walks back to the ring and tries to get somebody's attention to follow him so they can beat him up and chase him out. And finally he does, but you can definitely tell Jimmy Golden was just trying to get out of there and he did, they wouldn't have accommodating him at that point. So that was kind of funny toward the Well, no, because, well, at that time, I mean, if you if you watch it, the cops even had to step in because people in the crowd were like, well, you know, shoot, if you can't get nobody to whip your ass, we'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, that's what it's all about, really. Yeah. Even the little, kids with the, yeah, yeah, the little I, kids with the thing was hitting them. Yeah, those, those little kids with those lightning foam fingers was hitting Ivan Koloff, and if he wouldn't such a nice guy in real life. That's one of those times where you see somebody turning around and shoving a foam finger, playing hide and seek with it, with one of those kids. Cause 
that that one kid was railing him with that foam finger and foam lightning bolt, and he he didn't sell it. <laughs> they better be glad it wasn't Jackie. No, they. <laughs> God Almighty. Okay, so we're we're now through four episodes of Smoky Mountain, Justin. Four episodes into Smoky Mountain, we're building a little bit more. What do you think of the product? I think it's really good. It, it I shouldn't say really good. It's good right now, in my opinion. Uh, I, it's cool to you know go back and see, like you know, good pure wrestling. I guess I'll say that. Uh, some of the promos are horrific. The styles fun to watch too because it's so bad but it's neat to see like you know this is why i you know i grew the you know to love wrestling back in the day so yeah it's one even of those, when it was like 1992 i guess so it's one of those things where it's so some of those promos are so bad they're good right exactly in in hindsight now they're they are they're all it's all good it's all nostalgia so it's fun to watch. So let's, you want to jump into our end of show awards? Oh yeah, sure. All right. Uh, soundbite of the week. I'll start out with Andy. What was your soundbite of the week? Buddy Landale saying he's going to slap somebody so hard they talk with a hair lip. That, I, <laughs> I got so tickled at that. I, uh, cause the first thing I was thinking is, well, that's why Ward and Jeff don't talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> what was your soundbite of the week, Justin? Uh, there's been a ton. There was a ton. Um, <laughs> the genetic experiment by uh, Jim Cornette. I think he said that before he did his whole big old promo or whatever. Uh, let's see here. Brought- <laughs> there's one. There's one by a uh, Dutch Mantel. Brought a brought a tear to a glass eye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know who. <laughs> And I don't know who said it, but it was Brian Lee. Brian Lee, they made made him legally stupid. I don't know if that was uh, that might have been Cornette. There was tons of them. Dutch Mantel and Jim Cornette, between the two of them, you you, you could write a freaking book on their one liners. It's yeah. amazing. The, 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 they really are. I mean, compared like I said, compared to what they have, with I think I told you this off air with Michael Pohl. Even Jerry Lawler, uh, Jim Ross, all those guys; these two are second to none. Period. Now they're they're Not even close. They're great, and I'll just go ahead and play mine because yep. I had it queued up. So here's mine. And another one, Bob. I saw it. I'm not Helen Keller. I saw it. So we talked about that earlier. The I'm not Helen Dead. Keller. I saw <laughs> it. it. Just one of Dutch's one-liners, but. Uh, to break the tie, even though that was mine, I'd forgot. I didn't forget about Buddy Lindell because I mentioned him earlier, but uh I'll give the I'll give the nod to Buddy Lindell with the hair lip comment because he then proceeded to talk like he had one, which is <laughs> classic Buddy Landale. Just love him. Yeah, he he's all he was he's awesome, man. And it's great to see a new character like that. So we'll get plenty more of Buddy Landale down the road. So, oh, and I have I have one more to add. Okay, this whip will stop a two thousand pound bull, only because he was whipping somebody to death with that thing. Chad uh, Colton. Yeah, yeah, the Dutch when he was whipping Scott Armstrong. 
We were talking about whipping Scott Armstrong. Yeah, it would stop a two two thousand pound bull and kill kill a human. Yeah, Dutch is he's full of them. So this week, um, uh, we had been doing most nineties, most nineties sighting of the week or whatever. And I can't say most nineties because a lot of this crap's uh, East Tennessee. We was still stuck in the eighties. So basically, I've split this up, and we're going to have a fan of the week. And a fashion statement of the week. And my fashion statement of the week, I'll lead off, is all the Zubas. Those are the Zubas pants. Carl Stiles and Vladimir Koloff rocking the those uh, classic uh, classic style of pants that uh, you, you'd see those guys wear back in that day. Uh, I couldn't think of anything more most 80s, 90s of the week than that. Justin, what uh, anything stick out to you? I think I already alluded to this before, but <laughs> I'll say this till it stops. The bad, bad mullet, blonde mullets, and then they got the the one guy with the perm, Jackie, we'll, Jackie we'll, Folden. We'll have. That. I'll say I'll say that the, the whole time until it ends. You'll say it the whole time, then. So <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That's, that's what I mean. Andy, what? Did anything stick out to you as a fashion statement of the week? Honestly, yeah, I, I was with you with the pants because I was waiting on MC Hammer and uh, Vanilla Ice to jump out there anytime. They just start doing the little moonwalk thing. Oh, oh, oh! Because what is more late night, you know, late eighties, early nineties than those? It it was glorious. Okay, so Zubas went out. Uh, fan of the week. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this is this is there. this has to be a uh, gr- grandma here. It has to be a consensus. Grandma, grandma is my fan of the week. God bless America. Yes, I'm just gonna start calling her grandma ass kicker because that's what she looks like she could do. Well, well, that one when they cut the camera to her and you can see her. Well, that son of a bitch, and they cut the camera off of her real quick. You're like, yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> I thought she was gonna do a somersault over the the barricade and go beat and, that guy's ass. She weighed more than Victor Guerrero. True, uh, and and no, no offense to anybody, but if you've never been to a local Southern wrestling match before. That's the grandma's in there. That that's the little old ladies that usually puts a brick in her purse so she can just knock the hell out of the Russian dude. Yeah, yeah. So th- no doubt that was a slam dunk. All three of sensational Sherry. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So we got the fan of the week was grandma interview of the week. I d- I don't God. <laughs> if, if it would have been any other week, I would have given it to Buddy Landell for the hair lip interview. But Cornette killed it. He killed it with that interview. Andy, do you, do, is that the one you're going with? Is uh, Cornette's uh, trust, trust, can't trust nobody? I, I'm sorry. Like uh, Any other time I'd say yes with Cornette, but I guess where we've become such a politically correct culture here in Landale, go off like that, I, I love this. So I have to give the nod to Landale by just a smidgen, maybe the size of Pee Wee Herman. Uh, Justin, would you like to give the nod to Cornette or uh, Landale? Uh, Cornette, I already blew my load on this. Yeah, well, okay, so fans, uh, no. if you're going to preface this episode and follow along with us, that's cool. But otherwise, let's go ahead and let you have a piece of this right now. You know something? These people in this town look 
like a genetic experiment gone wrong. Do you realize that? You know, it's a sad state of affairs in this country. You don't know who to believe in. You don't know who to take at their word. Why is he even tennis racket, example, by the way? For example, Magic Johnson, a sports hero to millions of Americans, come to find out he completes more passes off the court than he does on. Then you got Pee Wee Herman, an idol for all the little children. Come to find out he likes to play solitaire in crowded theaters. The state of Louisiana elects an indicted criminal to the highest office in the state, and he was the best choice. And then you got Reverend Jerry Falwell up there in Lynchburg, right? You got Jimmy Swaggart down there in Louisiana. Jimmy Swaggart trying to save all the fallen women, saving them all for himself. You don't know whose word to believe in anymore. The greatest. I'll tell you something. You can believe Run for president. That. If I tell you the sun's not going to come up tomorrow, you better go out and buy you a flashlight. And I'm saying that I'm bringing the most dynamic tag team ever seen in wrestling right here to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. They're going to have a tournament for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team title in the coming weeks. And when that tournament takes place, my team will be in it. When that tournament's over, my team will be the champions, whether these hillbillies like it or not. <laughs> wow. So Jim Cornette just, just, and watch the interview the, the, because. The dude, the dude kills it, doesn't he? He's got it. I mean, you either have it or you don't have it. He's, he's got it. Kill, he kills it. So Cornette and if you watch the interview when he talks about Pee Wee Herman and I didn't notice this my first watch through, but I did the second one. As soon as he says Pee Wee Herman, he, he puts his thumb and his, his index finger just a few inches apart. Now he slipped that one by somebody because that was definitely a shot fired and inference at, at, uh, that Pee Wee maybe wasn't playing with an 18 inch card. So that, just watch it because that is exactly what Cornette was going for there. That he had to be. That was too good. And it was he slipped it right by any censor that may have been watching that show. There's only well, like a half, 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 half second. Well, not only that, but I mean, how big does his cojones have to be to start cracking on preachers in the South? In the early nineties, well, Bob, I mean, Bob Connell looked freak, legit- amazing, man. I mean, he's awesome. That Connell looked legitimately offended. <laughs> his, his, <laughs> oh, he, he, he did. He may have yeah. been. I mean, I, you never know with Cornette of who's how he's going to piss somebody off the wrong way. But Connell was definitely not. He didn't look at. He was, if not, he was playing his part real well. Yeah, because I think he even said, oh, Lord, right before he commenced in with it. Yeah, right before he turned purple, and he started looking for Terry Gordy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming down for Freebird Mountain, where Jerry Hollywell is baptizing the women's. Yes. All right, so jumping straight in now, or the big big one, award of the week, the match of the week. Uh, Don't know exactly where you all are going to go with this. So, Justin, what was your match of the week? You want to get? Oh, really? You don't? I I will say it till somebody tops it. Rip Rogers, he is easily the best worker. I don't care who he faces. He should have been. He should have been the championship contender instead of that piece of shit Brian Lee. That's the opinions of just. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Right, it's my opinion. But dude, he was the best worker. He he had to. He has a bet. He has 
No, I can't say that. Well, it's, I've, it's, looked, I've looked ahead anyway. It's interesting for me to just get your reaction because you're actually getting organic. Or you're actually having an organic reaction sure, it is. to this because you've not right. saw this stuff yet and you don't know where it's going. So for you to be this down on Brian Lee without me or Andy actually persuading you to be down on him <laughs> says that maybe that it was a misstep where they were headed in at the beginning. Andy, what was your match of the week? Andy, man, I wouldn't sway any other way. No point. I- I've got to agree with Justin on this because out of all the entertainers they've got, he seems to be the only one that could connect with the fans in that small of a setting and make them react. Because if you listen to the crowd reaction during any of the other matches, they're like, yeah, woo. When he gets in there, he gets them pissed off and, you know, he's yelling at them, you know. Yeah, even when he's a heel. Yeah, he, he was an excellent heel. And I, I, that was the match to me because I mean he just he works the crowd better than any performer we've seen so far. Well, I guess I'll make it unanimous. My match of the week was Rip Rogers and Joey Mags. That is oh, because it. of him, because of him, it, it really is. And it was a good match That's overall so too. I, th- I thought it was a good match, and I, I really, really liked the ending where it played off where he got beat around. He. Was stumbling around from the turnbuckle shots, and Mags went to the top rope, and Rogers just fell into the ropes and crotched Mags. That was a good, good way to set up the Ripperplex without him having to knock Mags down, pick him up, put him on the top rope, and then suplex him. That was a way for Mags to be on the top rope, and it worked out. I, li- I really liked that match. It was my match of the well, week, also. Well, not only that, but the whole match. I mean, the other matches you could. It, you could tell there was a few spots where they missed something here or there, but these two guys just went back and forth, just wide freaking open the whole match. Uh, you know, re- regardless of his style and him connecting with the fans, the match itself was just, it, it seemed flawless. It was good. It, and he came I mean, off the top rope like, to the outside. I mean, he had a little bit of everything. Like being a, a totally ignorant fan on this Smoky Mountain Wrestling until now, I'll say that the best two workers are Rip Rogers and Barry Harwitz. I mean, maybe that's crazy, but no, it's it's not. I, I think I can. <laughs> I mean, I can agree with you. Yeah. From what we saw so, so far, I, when when well, you, so far it's only four episodes, yeah, right? And we're, you're going to have that's some, my opinion. You're going to have some heavy hitters come in. Pretty soon, sure. it really can work, and that's good. That's what. Uh, that's why we're trying to blow through these first several episodes two at a time to get to some of the uh, meat and potatoes. They say so. That's what we're headed towards. So it we, sure is not. It sure as shit isn't Brian Lee and Killer Idiot. No, no, that's uh, it, and but Brian Lee, you'll well, he's got an evolution that takes place throughout his Smoky Mountain run, and uh, you will. You will change your opinion on him, I believe. Uh-huh. Not, not, I not for so. sure. I hope so, really. I uh, guess. <laughs> when uh, I want to throw him off my roof right now. So. <laughs> oh wow. So, okay. So we went two episodes into this series, uh, Justin. Overall, you say you're you're pretty entertained by Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's fun. It's it's a great it's a great show to. I love wrestling. I've I've loved it since I was 
five years old or whatever. And, and it's fun to watch, especially when this is, like you said, it was organic to me. I mean, I haven't seen any of this stuff, so it's new to me. So, and yeah, that, it's fun. Good deal. J- Andy, um, would you like to leave us with any thoughts tonight? I, I'm just enjoying going back to the days where they would tell the wrestlers, you know, here's the general direction we want to go. Here's a microphone. Do what you want with it. And, you know, some people fall on their face. Some people rise to the occasion. And that's, I believe that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah. And watch, watch gravity. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. So we will come back next week and we'll recap episodes five and six of Smoky Mountain. And I can't remember exactly where we got to get to before we hit their first big super card where they crown the inaugural Smoky Mountain champion. It'll be coming up shortly, and that show will be one. We'll just cover that uh, that show in one episode because it's a the, they have the heavyweight tournament that night. And I just can't wait for Justin to see some of what's coming up, knowing what happens. I wish I could go back and kind of watch some of this organically because I know some of the stuff that's coming up is really cool. But on the other, on the flip side of this, I didn't know going into it how much I would enjoy Rip Rogers coming back. And I, I, could, I didn't remember some of these little nuances like the Cornette classic rant with him holding his fingers two inches apart for Pee Wee Herman. I didn't, I'd forgot about the Buddy Landale hairlip thing. So every show that I watch, there's something to take out of it. And definitely entertaining. I hope you all are enjoying listening to the show. We're going to uh, continue to do these. Give us feedback, good or bad. We'll, uh, we take constructive criticism. I mean, hell, we didn't invent the wheel, so I know we're not perfect. If there's something you want to hear us do different, let us know, and we'll, we will try to accommodate. Uh, if you like racing, auto racing, we, we do a NASCAR show most of the time. Uh, called the chicken pit special racing roundup or drive by. We have a couple different kinds of chicken pits. We do, uh, slacking off on them right now. Cause NASCAR is in such a crappy position. I think all three of us are a little bit tired of fatigue, NASCAR fatigued right now. So I'm glad we're doing this smoky mountain deal because having fun doing that and, uh, hope to continue to do that and get through all these episodes of smoky mountain and hope you stay with us and, subscribe and follow along with us and remember how fun uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling was. So, Justin, would you like to leave us with any thoughts tonight? Yeah. Uh, yeah I'll, I'll, it's been a lot of fun so far. I can't wait to see what happens next because, like you said, it's organic for me. I mean, I have no idea what's going, you know, going on going forward. Right. It's fun. Good, good. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're enjoying it because part of it this is, is your it education. It really is fun. So, Andy, uh, any final thoughts tonight? I just want to give all the little ladies a little hug and because they're pretty and all that. Yeah. All right. So for the hot pocket, Andy Waddell, Jack, Jackie Fulton's in here. What the? <laughs> and the keyboard warrior, Justin Edgel. This is Ricky Wittenberg saying another fire in the mountains in the books.
skies, the skies over your town is gonna be illuminated. And that's smoking and whistling, and don't forget, it's gonna be coming live soon to your town. Oh, 